All right, this is the final week on the issue of uh, discipleship. Uh, I want to make sure I cover this subject. It's a deep subject, uh, much misunderstood. And as I told you right from the beginning, day one is salvation. You are saved. And you are saved without any aspect of yourself. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't do anything to be saved other than to recognize you needed a savior and God in his mercy pours the blood of Jesus over you and you are saved and you are saved forever, held forever in the, in the hand of God. But on day two and the rest of your life now begins the following of Jesus, the following of God, the discipleship walk and everything in discipleship now relates to your willingness to submit to God. Now, through the grace of God, he's giving you the grace to make this walk. But this is a walk of, of willfulness. It's not like salvation in which you had nothing to do with it. Now, in discipleship, you have much to do with it, accompanied by the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, and so one of the things that I want to reiterate with to you again is this. Jesus has made it very clear, very clear. And in fact, in preparation for the lesson, I went back and looked at all the, all the verses in the New Testament, Testament that relate to rewards. I found over 50, over 50. But the key is this. Jesus is going to look at your discipleship walk and one day will reward you predicated on how that walk uh, went. How did you serve God? How did you live for God? What did you do to advance the kingdom of God? And I'm going to give you uh, one set of scripture that focuses specifically on this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. And this verse here speaks about building on the foundation, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. So effectively what this verse says as we start is what does a man do with the salvation he has been given, all right? This is a, mis, a much misunderstood verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What a great verse. What a great explanation of everything that I'm talking to you about. As you see this, what do you do with the salvation that has been given to you? How have you built on that? What have you done with the rest of your life as you walk and serve Jesus? Have you built with gold, silver, costly gems, meaning the things that will stand forever, the things of God that will stand forever? Or instead, have you devoted your salvation to wood and hay and things that serve your own mind? In other words, you've not really walked the walk the way God wants you to walk the walk. Well, what will happen? Well, the day will come when you will be judged on that judgment day. Jesus will look at you. And all those things that you did that did not advance the kingdom of God, that had nothing to do with God, the hay, 
the straw, the wood will be burned up, but the man himself will survive. Can I give you a better explanation of exactly what our theology is about? All right? That's the essence of eternal security. You're saved. You're not going to lose that salvation. You will survive, but God wants to see the rest of your life devoted to him uh, in, in a walk uh, of discipleship. So this is a critical stu uh, study that, that we don't hear too much about, but it's important that we do. Now, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 24, uh, 23. Then, this is Jesus speaking, Then he said to them all, and he's speaking to the disciples now, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the angels. All right, and now let me explain to you what that means, uh, uh, Jesus being ashamed. It does not mean that you'll lose your salvation. That's how these verses have been misread uh, by people that don't understand eternal security. This verse, these verses relate to discipleship in which Jesus is saying to you, you're going to be judged. Your works are going to be judged. And if I don't see you advancing the kingdom of God, advancing my will, there will come a time when I'm not going to be rewarding you. I'm not going to be speaking on your behalf in terms of what you've done. And I told you, the saddest story in the world is when you sit in the great video room in heaven. Jesus puts on the videotape and you go, oh, no, don't do that. I don't really, Jesus, do I have to? Yeah, you have to. When you see, he runs the tape. And, and then when he gets done, he says to you, you know, John, I had such great plans for you. We don't ever want to hear those words. Instead, I want to hear these words. Well done. Well done. Really. God, what a great God we have. I mean, frankly, I'm sorry that it, that it, it touches me like this, but it's so overwhelming as I understand what it means to save his life and losing his life. You understand what it means? Here's what it means. You're not, you're not going to the cross in the 21st century. They're not gonna put you up on a cross and lose your life the way they did for the first century Christian, but instead, losing your life is losing everything that you held dear personally to you before you came to Jesus. You know what I mean by that. You were interested in position. You were interested in affluence. You were interested in going out and having a good time. You weren't interested in going to visit people in the prison. You weren't interested to, to go and do ministry works at church. You didn't do that. You'd rather be out in the golf course. But here's what happens. Now, now, this is what Jesus is saying to you. You're losing your life, meaning all those things that you formerly held dear to you now take secondary importance. I don't care about those things. I'm not that interested in those things. Lord, how, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to advance the gospel? And as you do that, you save your life, meaning what? Meaning, you're earning salvation? You don't earn salvation. You understand? You're not earning salvation. You're saved. But God is lifting you up and giving you the chance to show him how much you care for him and how much you love him. And on that day, he will speak on your behalf and you will be rewarded for the acts that you did. 
I want to make sure I get this clearly across to you. Somebody wrote to me and said, well, what is the degree or quantum of the reward? <laughs> I don't know, okay? I don't know. And you know what? It's good that I don't know because we're not doing it to get rewarded. Amen. You understand? If you're doing it because you got a ledger sheet and you're going, oh, that's good. I got three points today. I got two tomorrow. I mean, that is not, we do it because we love God, because we, we recognize that we, he gave us the greatest gift of salvation. Now the question is, God, what can I do to be your hands, to be your feet? When I hear people who are in need, what can I do to help them? That's the kind of Christian walk that God wants from us. And that's the denial of our own will. That's why this is important. So you understand this phraseology of saving his life and losing, losing his soul. Those words that, that relate in the Bible to that, if you look at the original Greek, losing the soul is not the losing of your eternal soul. It's rather losing the quality of the life. And here's the point of that, that God gives you the chance to have an elevated spiritual life here. Think about it. If all you did is pursue your own desires and your own wills, your own carnal loves, what kind of a life are you going to have? Just look at Hollywood. You see, you see the, the, the preservation of id and self. And you look and you say, is that what you'd want with your life? Really? Uh, I mean, the other night I was watching Million Dollar uh, Listing. I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch it. It's just <laughs> shocking as these brokers... All right, we'll do anything to undercut each other in order to get these massive listings. And to watch them pander to the ego of each other is disgusting. And you realize this is what humanity is when we don't have God. This is the basic essence of humanity. Don't ever forget it. That's why when people say, well, I believe in the innate goodness of man. Really? The innate goodness of man? Are you kidding me? The innate goodness of man was in, very evident in the Garden of Eden. That's the innate goodness of man, all right? And it's gotten progressively worse. And so it's important to understand this and see this is, and so God gives us the chance to have an elevated spiritual life in this world as we walk. That's what, that's what it means. And so you have to understand the innate, really the innate quality of these words. And so Basically, Jesus is telling us that it's about self-denial, and that's what cross-bearing is. Cross-bearing is denying yourself uh, and forfeiting the essential quality of what people look for in this world, but instead, you're going to have an elevated life, a greater life, uh, and this life will continue not he only here, but on the other side in every, in every possible way. And so Jesus is giving instructions to the 12 disciples all in this section before he sends them out to the world. And he's telling them, just as you saw in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 16, 1 through 4, you saw there that Jesus is preparing them. They're going to be suffering. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be murdered. All right? They're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. They're going to lose their chance to have li a livelihood. They're going to lose their chance to have an economic life. It's all going to collapse on them for one reason and one reason alone, that they have followed Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to go through anything like that, but we will suffer some. We will be persecuted some. And so it's important uh, to understand this. Uh, and then one of the things about discipleship, as you understand this, is that Jesus says that in order to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, 
to crucify ourselves, to lose ourselves. Now, understand something. That is on day two. You want to follow Jesus? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Then you have to crucify yourself, lose yourself uh, to everything that you want in your own will. Uh, Jesus does not call us to a sloppy half-heartedness. It's not a sloppy half-heartedness. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Yes, you're saved. Now, what kind of disciple are you? And this is why, in many instances, we look at people and we say, well, they say they're saved, but I don't see any evidence in their life. Well, first of all, God didn't appoint you to be the judge of anybody else, okay? So if somehow you, you have determined you're a fruit inspector, <laughs> you're, you're God's fruit inspector. Well, get off that train. I could tell you right now, because that's not your job, all right? That's not your job. None of us know the extent of anybody's salvation, uh, uh, but here's the point. Uh, we are learning very, very seriously and very deeply what discipleship is about, and that is the act of sanctification for the rest of your life. Folks, we are in a theology, a religion that involves a walk for the rest of our life, okay? Day one is salvation. Day two till eternity is discipleship, walking committing, submitting, allowing him to work and use us. That's what it is. Uh, and so many of us have parked our chair right after day one. It's like we're on the narrow road. We get in the front gate, right? And we go, oh, this is nice. This is good. I think I'll rest a while. I've worked hard. I mean, I feel like I, you know, I'm blessed, I'm saved, and I put my chair down. And for many people, that's where they park themselves, and instead, understand that, that you know, Jesus is going to call you to call you to responsibility on this, all right? You know, he, he's going to look at you and examine your life and say, what did you do with the greatest gift that anybody ever gave anybody? What did you do with salvation? How did you advance Jesus? How did you advance the cause of Christ? This is a very, very uh, important subject. It involves a life long commitment. It means taking up the cross daily, giving everything to Jesus Christ each day with no reservations, no uncertainty, no hesitation. It means nothing is knowingly held back. Nothing. Nothing. You get up every day and your basic prayer is, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Who do I have to say this to? And you leave yourself open through the Holy Spirit to be instructed by God as to how exactly he wants you to, to act. Now, as part of this teaching of, of, uh, of discipleship, Jesus made it a point, and again, this is the act of discipleship. He's talking now to people who have already been saved. Turn to Matthew 10, verses 37. Matthew 10. Again, misunderstood, misunderstood set of verses. Anyone who loses, loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. All right, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Turn also, as a corollary verse, to Luke 14. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, 
his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, that is a Semitic term there that's translated hate. Jesus is not telling you to hate your father or mother. Jesus knows what the commandment says. You know, one of the most important commandments is honor and love your father and mother. So what does that mean? It means instead, not, you cannot put your family members between you and God. You cannot. God comes first. If your son or daughter or your wife or husband is doing something that is not in accord with Scripture and is violating God, you have a responsibility to correct them. And by the way, be careful how you do that. <laughs> You're a loser. You're going to hell. Yeah, that's good. You're going to fill a church with people like that. That's good. But instead, ask God to give you wisdom and humility as, as, as you correct them. You can't put anybody between yourself and God. And I've used this example often that we have kids coming down and visiting us, and we're so grateful to have our kids here with us. We're so grateful. And they come in, and now it's Sunday morning, and what do a lot of us do? Well, I think I'll take a day off from church today. I'll take a day off from church. I got my kids visiting me. Instead, wouldn't it be great to say to your kids, I'm going to church. I would love for you to come to church with me. I would love for you to do that. But if you don't want to come, that's between you and God. I'm going, and then I'll be back, and then we'll go out for pancakes. Right? And then we'll go out for pancakes. I say pancakes because originally when I started this class, uh, one of the great things about this class was that Linda and I said, this is a wonderful opportunity. We'll teach this class. We'll go to church. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll be able to go out and have pancakes with our friends. And then God intervened and says, no, you won't. You're going to do the 11 o'clock class. You're too fat for pancakes anyway. I'm trying to make you live longer. And so there went pancakes. But the point of this is this. You put your priorities first. Let your family see what God means to you. Can I get an amen on that? This is critical. This is how God is judging your discipleship. Oh, you're saying, come on, John, really? Do you think Jesus cares? He cares. He cares because it shows your heart. It shows your heart where you are. And so you see, see this, that Jesus must be the object of our supreme love and devotion if one is to be his disciple. He matters in every way. You shouldn't take a step, a decision in your life without asking God, what is it? And when you do this, everything that you do following him indicates that you've pledged your life to him. And then here's the thing. When you do that, then you can move forward without all these secondary thoughts in your mind. Oh, have I made a mistake? Have I done the wrong thing? Now, you don't have to think that way. You've asked God for wisdom, and he's given it to you, and you're honoring him. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but you're walking with God. You're walking as he wants you to walk. Look also at Luke 14, Luke 14, verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Now, what's the translation of that? Does Jesus, is Jesus saying you go into your house, take all your furniture, just put it out in the curb, giving it all up? Is Jesus saying take your bank accounts and empty your bank accounts? No, he's saying where is your heart? 
Is your heart on your possessions? Is your heart on your affluence? Or is your heart with me? Is it with me? Do I come first? Am I coming first in your life? And that's what it means there in terms of giving it all up. Maybe God will ask you to make a major gift somehow uh, in some way to advance the kingdom of God. But he's not going to make you destitute. <laughs> really. So many of us are afraid, you know, and I say this before, oh, I'm just afraid that if I tell God I'm all in, that the next day I'll be on a boat and I'm going to Africa. <laughs> and I hear people actually tell me this, and I, go, I look at them and I go, do you, really, honestly, do you think God would do that to the poor Africans? <laughs> seriously, seriously, you think he would do that? He'd visit, he'd visit them with you, with your mindset? Honestly, he knows your gifts. He knows he created you. He knows exactly what he designed you to do. And he is going to align you perfectly with that will. Look, did you think, you know, 15, 20 years ago, do you think that I thought I would become a Bible teacher? Are you kidding me? Honestly, if I made a list of 100 things that I'm going to do in my life, this would be 100. Probably 101. All right? Why? I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. I'm not my father. I'm not my grandfather, okay? Can I keep going? You understand? And yet God says, you're right, you're not your father. You're not your grandfather, and you're not holy. But you know what? You're holy because you've accepted me, and I'm gonna use you the way I wanna use you, and you're gonna bow in submission to me. And if you do that, I'm gonna lift you up. And that's it. And just as he did that with me, he will do that with you. When you just say, fine, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for the rest of my life. I'm in to however you want to use me. I'm in for whatever it is that you have in store for me. And when you do that, God will look at you and take an inventory of your gifts, and he will align you with your gifts uh, with, with his perfect, perfect will. Uh, I mean, it's such an unbelievable thing to see God do, doing that. Um, and, and, and so you see these verses, giving it all up, crucifying herself. Look also at uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Let's see, John chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, in other words, abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. Daily abiding in the word of God. This means a daily issue where you read the Bible daily and you abide in the word. And as you abide in the word, God speaks to your heart. How is God going to speak to your heart if you're not reading the Bible? It's the Bible that winds up being the very avenue through which God speaks to you. And so you read that, and you study, and you pray, and God opens the doors, and he shows you what he wants and what he has in mind for you for the rest of your life. Uh, and so what you see here is, as I'm outlining for you, the difference between justification and sanctification, all right? You are justified fully day one when you've accepted Jesus Christ without anything that you did on your own. Not your righteousness. God looks at your righteousness and sees it as filthy rags. There's no righteousness in humanity. We're lost. Not, not your winsome personality. 
not the money that you've given away. I don't even care if you've packed up your goods, you've gone to India, moved into a leper colony, all right? And yet you've not accepted Jesus Christ. You are not saved. You've elevated the human condition, wonderful. But that's not what God has told us he wants. He wants, he wants you to give, ask him to make you, allow you to be saved. Open your heart, I need a savior. And so as he pours salvation into you through the grace of God, you are saved day one justified forever, forever. No one will take you out of his hand. Now day two, now day two. Now Jesus is telling his disciples, it's day two. You're gonna go out in the world. You're gonna talk about me. They're gonna revile you. They're gonna persecute you. You're gonna suffer. It's gonna be hard. You're gonna go through difficult times. But every day abiding in me, taking up your cross, following me, denying yourself, walking with me, Every day, and you go back to the verse in Corinthians, and you see who builds on that great foundation. We all build on that great foundation. Every day of our life, we build on that ground foundation. Are we building it with gold and silver and fine, costly gems? Are we doing the things that, that will abide forever in the will of God, or are we packing on some of our own stuff? Because when we pack on our own stuff, it's going to be wiped out. And that, that discipleship activity from day two for the rest of your life involves the act of sanctification, the act of sanctification. So if you go back to the original outline that I prepared for you, uh, and you look at point 10, what is it that can allow a Christian to rejoice in persecution as Christ mentioned? You were going to be persecuted. What is it in that act of discipleship that is going to allow us to rejoice. Well, first, persecution demonstrates to the Christian and to the world at large uh, that we are identified with Christ. That's what the world will see. You are identified with Christ. When they see you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor and they, and they see you don't fall apart, but instead you say, I'm, will, I'm willing to serve God in whatever way he wants. And he must have some greater act in my life that I have to attend to, even in this illness. You are identifying yourself with Christ. That is a message that resonates big time. I have been spoken to more by people who have been ill, I think, than any other way. Second, the Christian can rejoice because he knows that the, they are, there are not accidents, but rather that God is fulfilling his purposes. There are no accidents in the life of a Christian. There's bad things that happen, all right? There's bad things. There's evil. But to the extent that you are within the hand of God, God is controlling your life. I want you to have that abiding knowledge, all right? Uh, and so this means that though the coming through this uh, persecution, your faith should be strengthened. Uh, another purpose is growth in practical holiness. How do you grow in practical holiness? I mean, really, are we, how are we growing in practical holiness? We only grow in practical holiness through, through the dark days. I don't know about you folks, but I have never learned anything in my character from my wins. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe you have. You know, when I have, been, have success in life, it's always like, give me a high five. Man, am I smart. Look how smart I am. Instead, when everything goes wrong, it's like, oh, God, why did this happen to me? Right? Why did this happen to me, Lord? What are you doing to me? Why am I going through this? And it's that act of prayer 
and discussion and communication with God that winds up leading to practical holiness because you're burying yourself. You're saying, God, it's not about me. If this is about you, Lord, I honor you. I will serve you. I submit to you in every possible way. And so you understand that. Uh, The third reason why a Christian can rejoice uh, in persecution is that it, more than anything else, allows the believer to show forth the supernatural radiance of the Christian life. All you have to do is walk down a hospital hall and go by a room in which a Christian is dying and walk into the room and you will be filled with the radiance of God, the life. Then look at another room where there's no believer there in that room and you will see a darkness, so much so that you can't even walk into the room. Really, I walk into rooms where people are like that. It's hard for me even to speak. You know, when you know people have rejected Jesus, it's hard to speak. You know what I'm talking about. And so really, we are serving God. And through this persecution and suffering, we are giving a chance to have the supernatural radiance of God come through our lives. Oh, Lord. And all I want you to think about as we bring this lesson to a close is Paul and Silas in the jail. Remember, they'd been beaten. They'd been whipped. They're now in the darkest part of the jail. And not only that, now they're in stocks. And it's midnight. And what do you hear? They're singing hymns. They're singing hymns. Who can sing hymns during times like this? You can. You can. And you will when you submit your life to him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father for the words that you've given us. I thank you for this encouragement. Lord, help us. Help us to be better disciples. Strengthen us, Lord, to follow you every day, to submit all to you, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross. Lord, we want to be your disciples. We want to advance the kingdom. Give us the strength to do so. Bless our people. Be with them this week and bring them back to continue the study of your word next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I bless you all. Bless you.